competition, whatever it may be, if it's for a milkshake or if it's for a couple hundred dollars or whatever it may be, it's going to bring out what you got in you, you know, whether it's great or it's bad and, and you can hopefully see what you need to work on. This is The Tournament Code. We appreciate you taking the time to join us, Josh. We know where you are now. You're playing on Corn Ferry some. You've played on the PGA Tour some. you got a really cool story. Before we get through all your story, let's really start from the beginning. How'd you get into the game of golf? You know, well, first off, thanks for having me as well. I'm glad to join you guys. You know, at first, I kind of, I would say, didn't have any interest in golf. I was more into basketball and baseball and my mom who was, she was dating who is now my stepdad and he was a golfer and she kind of started and I just didn't enjoy watching it when they would watch it on the weekends. I had no clue what it meant, like scoring just, just wasn't interesting at all. Good time for a nap actually. (laughs) But I would say around age 11, I kind of got interested just from like being out of Greenbrier and overlooking the range there from the pool i'm like i think i could do that like i could hit a ball it took a, uh, at least a year before i could convince them to give me some clubs because it might mess up your baseball or whatever it may be and then i think my 12th birthday i got a set um and it was kind of a combination of playing with my mom and my stepdad and also a handful of friends um that i'd gone to elementary school with and then kind of through middle school I kind of I went to Morton and they went to Tate's Creek but I knew they were still playing and a guy in Harrodsburg across the street from my dad would play uh, and another kid and it was just kind of a combination of all that that really got me got me started that is cool you got your first set when you were 12 when did you start playing tournaments and figuring out hey like I want my I might want to play this a little bit more competitively yeah, it wasn't too much longer after that, I would say. They used to have champions for juniors out of Kearney Hill, like to wrap up the summer. I mean, it was just a nine-hole event. And see, a good friend of mine, Mac Jarbo, had been playing. His mom and dad were, were golfers and kind of invited me to come out and play this little nine-hole event. And I probably shot, you know, 65 or something, 70 on nine holes. But that kind of was my first event, I would say. And then... The next summer, I probably signed up and played some Pepsi Junior Tour, you know, maybe four or five times across the state. And then, you know, kind of got wind of the Larry Gilbert Bunnell interclub matches. And that was probably the first place that I really like competed and got my head knocked in a few times. And I guess uh, thought I wanted to continue at it. So I think, you know, it's it's a really interesting story how you ended up at Moorhead State. You played college golf at Moorhead State, and uh, I'll just let you tell the story. You know, how did you end up at Moorhead State, and what were what were kind of the steps that that got you there? You know, as I said, I played baseball through high school and was better at baseball at that point. Played with some guys that got drafted into the, you know, professionals, and one of them was a thirty second pick in the draft my senior year, and you know, we had a lot of I guess scouts and and people looking at talent coming to our baseball games. And I remember one, you know, I told him I was playing golf in college and he's like, why would you do that? You know, but 
you know, I wasn't a power hitter. I wasn't anything that I thought would go very far in the baseball world. So I had a high school teammate of Henry Clay, uh, Alan Foster, um, who actually is no longer with us, sad to say, but he was a great player. And I remember in eighth grade, we tried out for the golf team at Henry Clay and he made it. I didn't. And he got to leave early out of the sixth period or whatever it was to, to go to practice that fall. And, uh, I kind of shook my head every time. So that was another kind of thing to, I guess, spark my interest and get me going. Well, fast forward to the end of high school, we're playing a high school event. I think George Rogers Clark was hosting at Eagle Trace in Moorhead. And Coach Chaney was there to watch Allen. And he was our number one guy. I was our number two guy. And I don't know, I played pretty good that day. And it just caught his eye. Um, Allen maybe didn't play his best round, but he ended up going to Moorhead as well. Stayed about a year, but, you know, I wrote it out. And I also knew some guys from Harrison County, a guy named Kevin Letcher and John Hatfield, and some Winchester guys who we had played interclub with in high school against that were going to Moorhead. And I don't know, I just liked those guys. And, you know, Coach Chaney would give anybody a chance. So, as long as you had some clubs and some balls, you could go try out. And, you know, I went up and met with him during Christmas break of my senior year at Henry Clay and decided, hey, this is where I'm going to go chase it. Well, he gave you more than just a chance in the sense that you got up there and it took a, took a little while, but you developed as a golfer. From what you're kind of telling us, it sounds like, you know, high school, like you wanted to be good. You were pretty solid, but you weren't obviously the golfer that you are today tell us a little bit what it was like getting to college playing against that competition and kind of your roadmap through college yeah I think you know even at Henry Clay I was the you know until my junior year I didn't make the team to you know go to the regionals or even the the matches around town it was my junior year when I did and I was still like the fourth or fifth man so I think you know I've benefited maybe from not being the best on my team and being challenged and, you know, always having to fight to to try to climb the ladder a little bit, which, you know, we're still doing today. You know, it started that way at Moorhead. My first semester in the fall, I didn't qualify for a tournament. You know, there were some thoughts like, am I doing the right thing or whatever it may be? And spring break trip that spring, uh, he took me as an individual and I played okay. And we had a guy that didn't play great and we were actually playing two tournaments that trip and uh, the second trip I got put in the lineup and uh, luckily uh, pretty much stayed in there from then on. So it sounds like, you know, you were getting better every year and you guys did win the OVC championship and I think it was your senior year, but did you ever, you know, have thoughts of, you know, I'm going to play on the PJ tour or when did, when did that kind of thought kind of start to emerge? Yeah, I mean, it was actually, it was my sophomore year that we won. I was like three man on the team and Nick Atzinger had come in as a freshman and played as our fifth man and played really good at the conference. And, you know, our upperclassmen played great. Ben Hensley, Kevin Childers, Scott Pennick. We knocked them off down there in Nashville. So it was, that was a fun time. I think it was the year before the automatic bid went in. So we didn't get to go to regionals, but we got some memories from it. 
your other questions, you know, when did I think about playing the PGA Tour? I think, you know, from the time as I was a little kid, I wanted to be a, an athlete, I wanted to play something. And growing up here in Lexington, hey, let's let's be a Kentucky basketball player. Well, that dream ended pretty soon, you know, when I didn't make the high school team. And then baseball kind of panned out, you know, it panned out for a while through high school. But, you know, I think when I chose to go with golf in college is kind of when I was thinking, like, let's try to make a career out of this. That makes sense. And in college, you had some success and then you decided to go pro when you graduated, I think, in 2001. What did you expect, like, success to look like when you went pro immediately? Yeah, I mean, I think in my mind, like I knew how it kind of worked, how the system worked. You know, if you get through first and second stage at that time and get to final stage and you can now got some status, what was on the Nationwide Tour, com at that point. And I felt like if I could get there, it wasn't like today where you can get there and not get any starts. You were going to get some starts. And I thought, well, I think I can do that pretty handily, pretty easily. You know, I played a couple U.S. amateurs, a couple Western amateurs and, and done okay. But, you know, I didn't make it through that first year. You know, I think it was maybe my third event after turning pro Kentucky Open being the first one. But, you know, it didn't happen. <laughs> I didn't get through the first stage that year. And, you know, seven tries later, I did get through first and second stage. You know, I had this thought in my mind of what it was going to be like. And uh, it was far different. It's easy to look back now on those seven years that, you know, you were going to Q school every year playing mini tours, I'm sure, when you could and say, you know, this is all worth it. I played on the PJ Tour, made a lot of money, made a great career out of it. But during those seven years, were there times that, you know, you questioned whether or not this is the career path for me or, you know, just talk about what those seven years were like? Yeah, for sure, Cooper. I mean, I, you know, you go through something that you think, you know, you've got a pretty good handle on and you just can't get through the, the barriers that are in front of you. There's always some doubts and questions like I was thankfully, you know, fortunate enough to have, you know, sponsors and backers that from here in Lexington and also other places that I, you know, kind of come across that that helped me through those times, which made it, you know, easier to get by and to keep pressing forward, which was very helpful. But I, I think the the question that I always ask myself is, are you playing your best? Are you maximizing what you can do and if that's the case then you know let's do something else but I always felt like there was something else that was there that I could you know accomplish or something you know I could do I'd seen myself play better I just needed to do it more often what were the areas that you felt like you improved on and you added to your game that helped it grow yeah I think you know I'm pretty hard on myself, number one, and, you know, realizing that I didn't have to be perfect, still realizing that today, <laughs> you know, each each club in the bag is made for a reason, you know, you got a 60 degree because you're going to miss greens and you're going to be in bunkers and you're going to be short-sided, so, you know, more accepting of that, I've had times like when I've been, I think, better at that than I have been at other times, especially in those first, you know, six or seven years. And, you know, I got to working with Matt Killen in 2008 down in Bowling Green, and he really helped me to realize that, like, I was 
pretty really good ball striker. I just needed to putt a little bit better and be more consistent on that front. And you really got control of my ball, I think, a little bit better at that time. Kind of had realized how to play and, you know, you don't want to go with every pin and all that, that stuff that we talk about these days. But And then to really get control of your ball and know that, I think that's what really broke through and gave me the breakthrough in 08, 09, and, you know, still still going today. Yeah, so you, so you start working with Matt Killen in, in 08, and then you get through Q School that fall, and then that first full season on the Corn Ferry Tour, you win. And then the first full season on the PJ mm-hmm. Tour, you finish uh, around the 75th and the money list. So, I mean, you really just took off from there. What was it like just to mm. finally break through? Yeah, I mean, it was great. We, it was a lot of fun, you know, traveling around to places I'd never been, seeing, you know, I mean, on the Corn Ferry that year, we went to Australia and New Zealand, like kind of right out of the gate. And uh, I'm like, who knew I'd ever be here? And actually played pretty good over there. So, and then once you get to playing, I think, as you all know, like confidence, you know, breeds itself. If you're playing well, like, it's actually a lot easier, you know, than it is when you're struggling and you don't know what's coming that day and you're like struggling to get to the course. I think Byron Nelson has a book that talks about that, you know, when you're playing well and you're confident and like your showers take, you, you shower faster, you get out of bed quicker, you do everything, you drive to the course and, you know, you're, you're just in a flow that, uh, you just hope it doesn't stop. So, uh, we're always searching for that. I get that. And in 2008, you said you started to work with Matt Killen and really helped your game a lot. What kind of insights were you getting that helped you improve? And then as far as we kind of talked about how that next couple of years went, tell us, tell us a little bit more about how those next years went and what it ended up happening. Yeah. So, so with Matt, he got me to where I, I think I'm more of like a visual learner or feel oriented. So putting sticks in the ground and like missing it on the backswing and missing it on the downswing on the opposite side and having a stick uh, alignment stick for your ball start line and things like that. I think I, I'd never really done a whole lot of that at that point. And uh, it was just eye opening to see, you know, if I do this with the face, like this, this ball is going to start to the right. And I just don't want it to, you know, curve too much to the left, you know, Kenny Perry being a, great example <laughs> to look at but I just w- would go to tournaments and I had a pretty I had a really good friend caddying for me who I'd played many tours with and uh, we just I felt like we were having fun and, you know, enjoying the challenge of traveling number one number two you know seeing new courses that we'd never seen before putting in our work you know ahead of the ahead of time and sometimes that was him putting in the work and me resting and to this day like I think as you get older, you know, 44 almost now, you know, that rest key is, is very important. I need to start doing that a little bit more and and lean on somebody that's with me to maybe scout out the course and only play nine holes one day. And If I don't feel good in the middle of a stretch, like take a day off. I feel like I listened to Billy Tom on here and he, uh, he was talking about that in his first, you know, first year year or two out and just kind of going with the flow playing 11 in a row like i've done it many times and maybe did it last year but just not smart (laughs) it's hard to know when to stop and it's hard to 
gauge a lot of times like because you get every event you never know when you're going to play well we were just talking with the guy he's like yeah i mean you know you make most of your money over six to eight week span you don't know when that span is but it can mm-hmm. be tough to feel like hey if i take off this time this could have been the time i was playing good so before we get to things that you're doing now and trying to play out there you were out on mini tours from 2001 2008 then you got that nationwide status at the time and then all of a sudden you finished seventh on the money list in 2010 you're on the pga tour what was that jump like for you the buffer year there on the corn ferry or com was huge i couldn't imagine going straight from mini tours to the big tour <laughs> and you know i i had met Kenny Perry and knew a little bit, knew JB Holmes a little bit when I went out there because of their, them working with Matt Killen as well. So I think that was a, a great buffer and they kind of took me under their wing to, to kind of, I guess, guide me along out there at times. And then also graduated from Corn Ferry with a guy named Blake Adams, who I played a lot with. We stayed a lot together, uh, played practice rounds and things like that, I think were very helpful. And you know, knowing now about the reshuffle, didn't really know exactly what all that meant when I got out there, but finishing fifth at Pebble Beach in about the fifth tournament or whatever it might have been um, was huge because it set up my whole year. You know, knowing maybe what I know now, if I went in and knew I had to do that to set up a year, or have three or four good events on the West Coast, could have been tougher, you know, so yeah. Sometimes what you don't know is is actually a uh, a blessing. Yeah, I mean, you talk about finishing top five at Pebble Beach, and I believe in 2013 you finished T second at at Torrey Pines to Tiger. What is it about those California yep. tournaments, those West Coast tournaments, that you like so much? Yeah, that's a good question. Torrey Pines, especially, is a ball strikers course, um, long you know, rough, pretty narrow fairways on the south course. And the Poana Greens, you know, I think we can get some Poana Greens here in Kentucky in, in the spring, you know, here coming up now to the next three to four months. So a lot of times I, I kind of would revert back and think, hey, I've putted on stuff like this before. And I think that maybe was a little bit of an advantage, as crazy as that may sound, for somebody that doesn't spend much time here in Kentucky. <laughs> But I think I think that was helpful. It's always great to be in beautiful destinations, which is also another another bonus. But uh, yeah, that's uh, that's only two things I've got. <laughs> when it came to getting out there, as you said, you secured you secured your card for the rest of the year and st- stayed out there for a while. What did you? learn from your rookie season that you carried over to your next year? I think mostly just being around and seeing the golf courses and knowing that ones that favored me, ones that didn't, you know, if you haven't won though, and you, you're coming back for a second year, you're, you're guaranteed a, a lot more starts and you know where those may be, but you still have to perform. So I wouldn't say that you can pick your schedule hundred percent. But, you know, if you played a course the first time around and you just didn't like it, you can kind of ax that off your schedule for the next year. But I would say that's the main thing for sure. 
you know, that and the logistics of each tournament, like where to stay, you maybe stayed in the wrong place or you, you know, LA is an example. Like I didn't play that my rookie year. I got into it my second year, but if you stay, you can stay five, five miles away and it can take you an hour and a half, two hours to get there if you go at the wrong time. So you got to know where to stay in order to eliminate that problem. And there's other tournaments that are maybe not that extreme, but things of that nature. As you got going, you, one of the things that a lot of times people look at is like over overnight successes, it seems like. And as, as we noted with your story, seven years on the mini tour, then nationwide, then PGA tour, what was the different feel for you going through that, knowing you spent all that time there and people might only see like, Oh, he played on the nationwide. Now he's on PGA tour. This is awesome. But I know it takes a lot to get there as we've discussed. So what was the different feel for you stepping onto the PGA tour playing there and not only just having the resources, which is nice, but also the pressure that comes along with that potentially. You know, golf's a game where you put in work as long as you pretty much are working on the right kind of things. I think it pays off. You know, you can play golf like Cooper and I did at Moorhead state, or you can play at, uh, Vanderbilt, you know, who's I think maybe the number one team in the country right now. But as long as you're playing and competing, and you're going to get better. And you know, I think the fact that I was competing for those seven years and then popped right out there on the nationwide and had success, it was just more confident. More confidence came from that and trust in my game and belief that, I mean, I did it here. Why can't I do it here? And you know, to come out my first year and do well, I'm like. Let's just keep going. Like there's there's better things we can do, you know. My goals weren't just to keep my card, you know. Maybe the first year it was, but after that it was like, let's win. Like let's try to get as high in the world rankings as we can. And I mean, to this day, like I'm still trying, you know. I'm I'm wanting to grind it out. I want to get back. I want to do more than get back to the tour. I still think I can win. So mm-hmm. I think just competing, whether it's those seven years on the mini tours, you're a guy that gets straight on the tour. Like competition, in my opinion, in anything is is very good. That's a really really tough mindset to have, but that's definitely the right mindset to have for someone who's trying to make it to the PGA Tour. One of our really good friends, Ashton Van Horn, you know, once he recently got his corn fairy status, he was able to move down to Jacksonville and play at TPC Sawgrass. And he talked to me and Daniel a lot about how just being around a lot of really good players has helped him progress. And just like having that daily competition to where they push each other every single day. And I want to talk about something that you did in your career is at some point, I'm not sure when in your career, you decided to move down to Sea Island. Just talk about kind of why you made that decision and how it helped you um, to live down there. Yeah, that was in, uh, we kind of decided that in 2014. So I'd been married for almost a year, had our first child coming, and we had spent a couple winters in uh, Scottsdale. So we were in Kentucky for most of the year and in Scottsdale for a few months in the winter. And it just never felt like we were home because we were on the tour traveling or we were in Scottsdale. So we wanted a, a place that we could kind of call home and the weather be good uh, throughout the year. And 
you know, Sea Island's a pretty special place. Not too far from here in Lexington. And we knew a lot of people there from that were on tour that were living there. So it just seemed like a perfect fit for kind of the small town feel and, and to have the weather and to be in the, you know, a vacation destination, <laughs> to be honest. So we moved there in 15 when our oldest Bane was, I guess he was just over a year old. And it was great. You know, I got to compete with guys like Jonathan Bird and younger guys, even like Keith Mitchell, who's now having a lot of success. and. You know, Grayson Sig and Joey Garber and I played a lot. You know, Zach Johnson at times. Hudson Swafford, we played quite a bit. Pat and Kazire. So, I mean, I could keep naming them. But, you know, every day you could find a game if you wanted one. And, you know, I'm more of a guy that would love to go play 27 or 36 holes than I would beat balls for four or five hours. So, it's just that same thing I said a minute ago, like competition, whatever it may be, if it's for a milkshake or if it's for a couple hundred dollars or whatever it may be, it's going to, it's going to bring out what you got in you, you know, whether it's great or it's bad and, and you can hopefully see what you need to work on. Absolutely. One of the things that we talk about is, you know, when guys you get a bunch of good guys together, you learn things from each other. And so what are one of some of the things that you learn from playing with that group? And what's one of the things you think they learned from playing with you? It's a good question. <laughs> well, I think, you know, I learned from playing with them is like, even though, you know, I'm older than most of those guys I mentioned down there, you know, they had had a lot of success earlier than I had. And I just think because you're, say, more of a veteran player, that doesn't mean you can't learn from younger guys. You know, some guy might be a, a great chipper. I mean, there's a guy who lives down there named Mookie DeMoss who's played at Georgia that I've become pretty good friends with. And he's kind of in that, I guess, stage I was in where he's he's had some scoring fairy status, but not very great and had some injuries. And But, I mean, he's a really good short game guy. His chipping is unbelievable. And, you know, I went down there this winter and spent three or four days, stayed with him, and we just practiced every day. And I tried to learn from him through that. And then, you know, I'd hope, you know, through me, just they could see, you know, I don't know, just how I approach, I'd say driver's my best club. Like, I don't get too bent out of shape over it. I I just kind of see a target and I swing and I feel like I'm going to hit it where I'm, where I'm looking most of the time. And I don't put that much pressure on it. And hopefully that's something that, like, I help those guys with or, you know, even um, balancing family life a little bit. Yeah, so that's kind of – what I wanted to talk about next is, you know, when you first came out on tour, you were what was considered a bomber. You know, you would hit, you would hit it over 300 yards down the middle pretty much every time. And that was your strength. You killed the golf ball off the tee and you had wedges into greens. But now on the Corn Ferry Tour, you're a little bit older and comparatively to the rest of the field, you're not hitting it quite as far. So like, how has your approach changed on just competing and um, using what strengths you have to to compete? I think I'm going to jump to a different point in my career, but I lost my card in 15. And I think when I left, I would say I was probably top third in distance. 
And then I got my card back after 18 and I went back and I was probably right at average, I would say. And that's how much it changed in, in that, that amount of time. And I, I don't think I was hitting it any shorter. It was just everybody else was hitting it longer. The younger guys, you know, the guys that grew up in the weight room and, and things like that, um, with all the great coaching there is today, maximizing everything. But yeah, I mean, I think most of the time on the Corn Ferry Tour, the par fives are still in a range where I can hit a long iron to, you know, I carry a seven wood, which I call my favorite club. <laughs> I think I can still get to some par fives with most par fives with those. But when I was back on tour in 1920, 21, like I noticed like I, I was more in hitting three woods into them where they lengthened the course a little bit. And maybe I'd lost a little bit of speed by that time. But, you know, that makes me think, hey, I need to look more at my wedge game. I need to be more of a, you know, David Tom's kind of thought process. Like if I can't get there or if I say I'm 270 or 280 and, you know, it's just not the percentage play like let's lay it up to the number and let's let's lean on another part of our game that you know can can get me to where i need to be as well so practicing that a lot more being more uh you know less balls with longer clubs and i mean how many six irons are we going to hit in a round like no reason to do that just kind of go out there and, and really dial in your wedges absolutely i think that that's a perfect segue we've talked a little bit about your time playing all that kind of stuff. And we've talked about, you know, adjusting to the travel. One of the things we haven't talked about is preparing for golf tournaments. So tell us a little bit about how you prepare for a golf tournament now and how you used to prepare for golf tournaments and if there's any difference between that. Yeah. I mean, I think in the past, like you first get out on tour, you've seen courses, they have Monday pro-ams, they're kind of recruiting guys to play in and you get paid a little bit for that. So it's like, enticing and you're like oh i'm gonna play that and then you play on tuesday and then maybe you're in the pro-am on wednesday so you gotta cut that back a little bit whereas now i'm typically in the pro-ams wednesday and i'll either nine holes most of the time now and i might play the other nine on tuesday but really know like what i need to work on uh for that course going in like i'm headed to savannah next week and Played there a couple times now, and know that around the around the greens is pretty pretty tight. Lies you're going to do a lot of pitching and chipping. So actually chip some here out at the UK facility, even off the green or off the you know, artificial green inside. Kind of try to mimic those lies a little bit, and just kind of have a, a outlook to what's coming instead of just always practicing the same, no matter where you're going. Down in Bogota a few weeks ago, we played two courses. And our good friend Jacob Cook was down there caddying for me, and he wasn't feeling very good when we got there. So I was kind of on my own. So I didn't play. I played the Pro Am on Wednesday, 18 holes, but Monday and Tuesday, I just took a wedge and a few balls and a putter and walked around the two different courses and hit some chips and putts and kind of. Just got the feel for that. And that number one focused me in, you know, on some stuff around the greens. And number two, you know, saved a lot of energy from playing all those holes. Yeah. I mean, so it sounds like you kind of, at this point in your career, you've kind of like cut out all the fluff is what I say in preparation. You kind of, you know, you know what is going to work and you're just going to only do, only going to spend your energy on 
that stuff that actually works. So like, would you say you see players on tour right now that are maybe just practicing a lot all day just because they feel anxious about getting ready for the tournament? Or did you feel like that earlier in your career? Oh, for sure. And I mean, there's still times now when I think I I do. You gave me a great compliment thinking that I do that all the time. But I mean, I kind of was forced to do that with with Jacob being sick. But, you know, I I learned something from it knowing that, hey, maybe this is maybe less is more, more times than not. But there are times when it's not going well, you're not hitting it like you want. Like you got to get out there and you got to get after it. And kind of knowing that balance, you know, I've had, I think over my career, I've probably played well on Thursday, Friday, and then, you know, over the weekend, maybe kind of fanned out a little bit. So trying to be stronger toward the end of my rounds and end end of my weeks, which I think in 13, I was probably a lot better at that. And that's probably the best year I had. You you mentioned 2013 right there. I think one of the one of the things that at least by my stats that I got right here is we haven't talked about majors at all, and you've not missed a cut in a major. I believe is a correct stat. So tell us a little bit about your time at the majors and what you learned playing in them. Yeah, so in 13, I I, I kind of qualified for them in reverse order. I with my second and sixth place finish on the West Coast. That got me into PJ Championship, which was, you know, in July or August at that time. And then they had a they used to have a 36 hole one day qualifier in Texas for the Open Championship, and I won that qualifier that year. So I got into that one, and then qualified up in uh, Columbus for U.S. Open. And three great venues: uh, Marion, Muirfield in Scotland, and then Oak Hill. Rochester and you know those courses are just so demanding rough Marion was a little tricky uh they moved some fairways close to some roads and you know the angles looked a little funny from the tees but you know I was like you said fortunate enough to get the job done to play four rounds at all three of them and uh I haven't been back to one since so uh actually just signed up last night to to try to get out there to LACC in June Hopefully you can get through to that qualifier and make it four for four and the cuts made in your major career would be pretty, pretty cool. Yeah. I just need to knock off one more major. You know? the ma- yeah. I think we, we all get in that. I think we all know what, what that one is, <laughs> but what was the feel like at those major championships compared to even just, you know, a bigger tour event? Yeah. I mean, I like to think of like Torrey Pines as like the first event of a calendar year. Like you show up there and Tiger would play, Phil would play, all the big names would be there, Dustin, Jason Day, whatever. And you're all in one property, whereas before that, you know, Hawaii, not not many big names would play, and then you're spread out in the desert. But it kind of has that same feel to an extent as Torrey, but it's just probably double magnified just players they have all their coaches and you know everybody that may be part of their team there and fans are are out there practice rounds like no other tournaments and just attention to detail to try to save all the shots you can in those tournaments you know it's like being at the super bowl i'd say um, if you're a football player we've talked a lot about 
before the tournament, getting prepared for it. We talked a lot about the pressure of a tournament. But what we haven't talked about is, you know, you wrap up the tournament and then what? How do you how do you view tournaments besides just looking at the score and saying, Hey, I played my score was good, my score was bad. How do you view tournaments afterwards and how do you take things from that to learn going into your next events and going into the rest of your season? Yeah, I I think I would say I probably haven't been the best at that in my career, but I'm getting better. This year I've kind of made a focus to focus more of a focus on you know, looking over a tournament after the after the week's over. I feel like we're easy to it's easy to just, you know, play around, go eat lunch and be like, "Oh, I need to chip better." So you'll go chip. But I think it's better to like remove yourself for a day or so kind of think it over, make some notes, and then you can really get a plan and you can work on that plan. Like let's give ourselves a three or four tournament, you know, stretch to really like focus on one part of your game or or one thing you want to try to change. And don't be, don't take that snapshot of one or two rounds that you, say you miss a cut and you got two rounds to look at and you're like, I was really trying to work on my mental game or my, wedge play and I was bad those two rounds so I'm going to jump ship and do something different I think the best are are really consistent in doing what they do they do the same drills they maybe have a handful of different like games that test them like say on the putting green or whatever it may be and they get out of there you know they may go hang with their family or they may go you know watch a movie or do something different read a book but I think I need to be better and as we know, it took me seven years, so I'm, I'm maybe not the fastest learner. But here in year 21, maybe we can make some great progress in that. I think that I think it's just a testament to how hard you've worked over the course of your career. And uh, most people would have given up at that point, but you stuck through it, and it was definitely worth it. Um, you mentioned working on the mental game earlier. I'm curious: Have you worked with any mental coaches over the course of your career? I have. I've worked with uh, Bob Rotella, uh, you know, maybe the the main man in the in the industry that kind of started it. And then I've also worked with Brett McCabe as well, probably quite a quite a bit over the last four or five years. Haven't talked to him much recently, but uh, he's there if I need to holler at him. Um, both great guys, and just make you realize that like we're not perfect. You know, play the game that's in front of you. Try to put the I like to think of it as a as a puzzle, you know, trying to put the pieces together each day to, to make bring the picture to life. And let's just see what the picture is. Absolutely, you know, each of each of those guys has their different approach to the mental game. In part, what what is one thing that you've learned from each of them as far as the mental game? You know, I think Rotella is just basically his books of like golf's not a game of perfect like that's that's what you need to know if you're stepping out there trying to be a perfectionist you're going to have a hard day and it's not going to be fun and then McCabe he's he's testing you he's giving you drills he's trying to build you build a mindset that like I'm gonna you know and there's nothing's gonna stop me like I'm gonna do this putting drill in my off weeks that's very difficult but you know I may not even complete the drill when I'm trying to do it, but I'm going to work on it for an hour and a half or two hours. And at the end, I can tell you, hey, 
I just made 400 putts from, you know, four to eight feet. So that's positive to, to move in and know that, hey, when I have those putts in the tournament next week, we're going to be ready. I get that. Well, that's that's perfect. We appreciate you taking the time to join us. The last question we ask every golfer is, if you could go back and talk to yourself as a junior golfer and tell yourself just one thing, what would that one thing be? Man, great question. Start earlier. <laughs> Don't be so hard-headed and not like the game at age 8 or 10. And You know, I've got two kids now, 8 and 5, and it's probably their fourth or fifth favorite sport, but they have some clubs, and they'll get out there. And when they do get out there, they have a blast with it. Just a game that can change your life forever, not even as a professional golfer, but just in general. And have fun with it each day. Um, you know, don't beat yourself up. That's the truth. We both, we both have experienced that, uh, golf, golf for better, for worse. And almost all the time for better helps you learn something about yourself and figure things out. So we really appreciate that. As far as people finding you on social media, where can they find you if they want to learn more about you, reach out to you, any of that kind of stuff? Yeah, I'm on uh, Twitter, probably where I'm most active. At J Teeter one two eight J Teeter twelve. That's my baseball number, so I'm still keeping a hold of that baseball a little bit. And then same same handle on Instagram. Trying to get a little bit more in on that. That's uh that's where the kids like to hang out these days. But those are the main two I have. Perfect. Well, be sure to give Josh a follow. And then if you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify please subscribe and leave a rating. And if you're listening on YouTube, please like and subscribe. This helps us get our message out to more people. And if you're trying to find us on social media, you can find us on Instagram at The Tournament Code and on Twitter at Tournament Code. As always, we appreciate you joining us and look forward to diving in deeper to what it takes to play elite tournament golf. 